You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Chris Bangle Show. Thanks for joining me today. This is a conversation that I had with the students at John Carroll University that make up the Freedom Society. Thanks to listener Luke Hoffman for inviting me to come and talk. And they asked me the question, what's wrong with the media? Why don't people trust it? And yes, there is the obvious first answer that the intentional or unintentional blatant falsehoods that are sometimes pushed by the mainstream media or the right-wing media uh, erode faith in the media. But there are, are also other factors that are kind of unseen and untalked about. So we talk about that today. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. So, thanks again to Luke for having me, and please enjoy the show. Uh, so this is Chris Bangle. He's a 15-year veteran of media and uh, politics. Um, I had to type that out so many times, I practically memorized it. <laughs> That's the point. Very good. Um, also, I said he wrote, runs his own media empire um, in, the, in the promotional stuff, but he runs a thing called We Are Libertarians. It's basically a, a giant... Uh, podcast organization with podcasts on different topics um stuff like that he, he has his own podcast it's chris Dingle show and runs his own website where he publishes articles about like politics current events stuff like that um just go ahead and introduce yourself please yeah, I started out from 2004 to 2008 working at a news talk radio station as a reporter producer um that's really informative for the stuff that we're talking about today for me then kind of flipped to the other side and worked for the Libertarian Party of Indiana as their executive director for full-time job from 2008 to 2012. Then I went to work for an ad agency uh, for a year for the for the Advocates for Self-Government. And then now I work for the Bob and Tom Show as their web director. Um, so I'm back in radio full-time. I am a podcaster. I've been podcasting since 2007. Have multiple podcasts from like like he said it started as We Are Libertarians that's morphed into the podcast network and my show is the Chris Spangle Show, History of Modern Politics, Liberty Explained, podcasting of platforms, teaching people how to do podcasting, and then I'm on the Pat Down, which is a comedy podcast with uh, comedian Miss Pat and Dion Dion Curry, um, and yeah I've worked in you know I I bought media I've been the media I have. Uh, argued with the media i've had stories run about me that were completely wrong uh i've had you know goofed ran out of thought just like i did right there and that got used on the six o'clock news by jim shella who now weirdly is a friend of mine um 
there there's plenty of reasons uh that that I have an opinion on media but I also think that journalism and media like we're living in a time where there's never been better journalism but there's also never been worse journalism <laughs> so uh we're we're very fortunate and uh cursed in that way so yeah I mean my my passion really is like uh, to sit down and research a topic and then every, you know, every day or two to do a show about it, to explain to regular people what's going on with the topic um, from this non, you know, this I'm a libertarian, but my uh, desire to like indoctrinate people has lessened over the last two or three or four years. And now it's really like people just don't know what's going on and they don't know who to trust and they just want an explanation that isn't like cloaked in Republican or Democratic jargon, you know, you take a big topic of like, why are my shelves empty? Why is gas prices so high? Uh, which are a couple shows that I'm working on now. And then we do a podcast around that, trying to explain current events from that independent point of view. And along the way, kind of getting people to think differently about their interactions with government, the the role that government plays in their lives. And um, that's born out of my experience, just kind of like, being around Indianapolis, where I'm from, being in the media, you know, from, you know, this legendary radio show, you get like one view being a talk radio guy, you know, you get a different view being, you know, I've just been fortunate to kind of uh, meet a lot of different people uh, and see a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, I I'm excited to come and talk to you guys tonight about it. Yeah, so pretty much the topic we wanted to talk about tonight is um, why people don't trust the media, why the general public doesn't trust the media. And I um, actually, I looked it up beforehand, and the most recent Gallup poll said only 36% of Americans trust the media as being truthful pretty much all the time. Um, and it's the second lowest it's ever been since Gallup's been doing the poll. Um, like, personally, I think reading and watching the news is a waste of time unless I want to learn about an issue and I'm going to like multiple different sources because I just think it's all super sensationalized. Um, and it's just, it's just bad for my mental health to, to look at it. Um, and just um, like to give an example, I was, I was on Freedom Society's Twitter today, uh, just doing some stuff, uh, talking to people uh, about future events. And I was just scrolling through my feed and there was about, three tweets within, like, I don't know, it's a group of, like, 12 tweets that were saying, like, just really, like, bad things about the media called, like, unforgivable demons, like, <laughs> the problem. And, like, this is completely, like, I just could be just going to follow, like, a bunch of, like, like libertarians, anti-government types. But um, I just thought it was funny. So we just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts um, about this divide, how you think it happened, because obviously this wasn't the case has always been the case. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, there's always been animus amongst the media. I mean, if you want to if you want to like pull out and, and go back to you know, the time of the founding, I mean, you have something like the Aurora in uh Pennsylvania which was set up by Benjamin Franklin's son. It was the subject of the Alien and Sedition Acts. There's a great book. Um I think it's called Liberty's First Crisis. And it's basically about Congress and John Adams and their f fear mongering over the French invading America and Benjamin Franklin Bache, like 
printing all this stuff that was going to, you know, bring down the fragile new republic. And that's why the Alien and Sedition Acts was passed. I mean, it was, you know, censorship and controversy around the media is from the very first, you know, moments of this republic. So information has and always will be controversial. And we're living in a very messy time. If you look at new innovations of technology, there has always been a period of instability after that happens. The Reformation is caused pretty much directly by the printing press. And Martin Luther's ability to print the New Testament in German and pass it out to a country of people that have never been able to read the Bible for themselves because the Catholic Church had kept it centralized. That freedom uh, was very threatening to the powers that be. And that includes the Church, but it also includes the the political authorities of that time that were deeply in bed with the church and the church, the Catholic church and the uh, political rulers of that day really depended on each other to have each other's back. And so the printing press really threatened to blow that apart. We now have social media. We have uh, someone like me who can build their own little media empire and, you know, have basically, uh, a near full-time job doing a few podcasts a week. Uh, that didn't exist. Everything that I do for a living did not exist 15 years ago. When I was in your seats in 2002 and in, in college, nothing I do technology-wise existed. Podcasting, video on the internet, video editing. Um, my job now, editing videos in Premiere, is completely different than editing Premiere videos in 2002 one in high school. I mean, it's night and day. Uh, and it allows so much more content creation. And it's also a lot cheaper. You know, the camera that I'm talking into was five times more expensive 10 years ago. The setup that I have in this room that I'm talking into, you know, the, the Rode Podcaster Pro, $600. Well, 10 years ago when I was starting my podcast, I had to build out a rack of equipment that was probably three times as expensive, way more uh, room, taking up more room. Um, so as costs have come down and everybody basically has their own, you know, little content creation devices in their pocket now, you know, there's a lot of people who have better experience, uh, that are crowdsourcing more information that are capturing more information. You look at George Floyd, that, that 14 year old girl that for nine minutes defied the police and kept a video on George Floyd and and uh, Derek Chauvin, that had a real impact. That kind of local, immediate content creation that could go on the web, that could catch in a viral manner, did not exist 15 years ago. So I think what we're what we're living through right now is a disruption, and the human brain hates disruption. They like predictability. They like dependability. That's part of why social media is so catchy, is that they've learned your habits and they're feeding you things that kind of keep you addicted to their product and keep you coming back. Um, you know, and you look at things like the Kyle Rittenhouse video um, that is open to a million different interpretations. And it's, you know, that that ability to capture content and throw it out on the Internet and allow people to make instantaneous judgments 
is very powerful. The the Covington kids, the kid with the MAGA hat and the face of the Indian, everybody had one view of how that was. I, I totally got that wrong. Um, and then when you really kind of like looked back, you went, oh, they weren't the aggressors at all. But uh, media is struggling to kind of keep up with the breakneck pace that decentralization has caused and part of that is good i mean part of that is great like i said people like me have an opportunity we have the ability to have this conversation um but it also kind of creates a lot of mistrust because now everything is framed through the lens of the person that's posting the video i mean you guys know that when you're posting on facebook or twitter you're kind of like just going through your daily lives there's a lot of times where you kind of go, oh, sorry, I got that wrong. I, I totally misunderstood. Um, we're just doing that on a global scale now. And uh, I think that that's a big factor. I think that that immediacy, that massive shift in uh, how content is curated, how the media is no longer kind of the gatekeeper, they're the ones trying to catch up and give you some context to what happened. Uh, as opposed to the the way that even you guys grew up, you know, you look at uh, something like every journalist watched, including me at 12 years old, all the president's men with Woodward and Bernstein tracking down uh, the Nixon impeachment stuff uh, and the 18 missing pieces of tape. And like every few weeks, there'd be this bomb that they just dropped that would totally change the narrative. And they could just destroy or create a person because they had total power. They had all of the attention. They don't have that attention anymore. And they don't really even have the resources to keep up with what has our attention. Um, so, you know, the immediacy, the lack of gatekeeping, and then I'd also say the lack of resources in these organizations is probably the third biggest factor to the decline in trust. Uh, the quality of the product is worse. So when I worked at a news talk station in 2004, there were 13 people working on my radio station. When I left in 2008, two people were left working on that radio station. It is now a computer in a closet. Uh, if you look at the Indianapolis Star, uh, the local veteran journalists that have been dismissed and bought off, bought, their contracts bought out over the last 10 years – They've taken every senior journalist to cut cost and moved them out of that newsroom. So you are now left uh, with people that are just kind of out of college that came up in a very different system that is more ideological than a lot of the old school reporters. Uh, and they have more of an ideological driven mission than somebody like a, a an old school reporter like a Jim Shella or Vic Rakeyart who got their start in the 70s. And those guys aren't there to kind of mentor the younger people in the ways of the craft. You've got younger people who are just kind of like encouraged to go on Twitter and Twitter's the universe and that's reality and that's where you need to find your information and do your research that way as opposed to the way that it used to work, which was literally like you had a beat, like a cop. You you know you would go around and you'd build relationships with the people that worked in this particular area, like be it sports or business or um, politics, 
And so you'd build a relationship, you'd build trust with the people that you're covering, that you'd get a lot of information and intelligence. Some of it you would use, some of it you wouldn't. And uh, you'd, you'd kind of report from there. Now, subjects are much more guarded because they don't have any trust in the people that are covering them because it may be a different face every six months. And there is no trust in that relationship because if they find out something, they run with it because they need clicks. If you walk into a newsroom, you literally see a bay of televisions in a Gannett newsroom or what used to be Gannett, which is now owned by a hedge fund, uh, that said the top news stories per clicks. And so what's the subtle message there to a, 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 a new young reporter? The metric that you're being judged on is clicks because we need them to see the digital displayed advertising and the pop-ups to get revenue to pay for salaries. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, the, the financial incentives of the news industry have totally changed. Facebook completely decimated local newspapers, local television stations, uh, because they used to rely on classified ads, sold, sold advertising, uh, that has all shifted to digital advertising like Google Google AdWords and, and Facebook. So the revenue is not there. So they just don't have the resources to cover things. And it's very transient. So they don't really understand what they're covering. So if you open up the Indianapolis Star, you don't see anything that's relevant to you. And the number one rule that I was taught in my journalism classes in high school, it's the number one thing that I have learned in my career in, in any form of media I've worked in, being sports journalism at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway or Bob and Tom in comedy or, you know, we are libertarians with libertarian ideologically slanted content, is that it has to be relevant. It has to be what you're thinking about. It has to be content that you connect with. It has to be, uh, you know, the, the concept of representation has really taken the forefront. You need to see people that look like you and that live your cultural experience for you to fully connect to a piece of content. Um, and when you open up the Indianapolis Star, you don't see anything that really like connects with you or that's relevant to the conversations in town or really truly explains what's happening in town or really explains the, the undercurrents of what's happening in the city. Uh, so how do you trust something that doesn't build trust with you? So I know that's kind of a, a long-winded answer, but those are the, the things that I see. Just the changing media, uh, the, the changing model of, of speed, social media, and it's kind of that along with the changing business model that I've sort of hollowed out the product, which is why 20% of people now go to podcasts for their news. Because it's hyper niche. It's more relevant. Luke, Luke will listen to my podcast because when he listens to it, it connects with him. He understands it. You'll go to social media and get information from your friends because birds of a feather flock together. They understand. It's more relevant to you. They're thinking along those same lines. But that can be dangerous because it creates those silos. And that has a tremendous effect on people's way of thinking and uh, I think part of the reason we're in sort of this death strangle between the left and right is that there's no cross-cultural conversation whatsoever. So there's no trust being built. So uh, I have a question for you. Um, I don't know how it was necessarily 10 years ago, but 
when uh, there was misinformation, I don't want to say misinformation, but when news sources say put out that story and it comes out incorrect, is there a need now for accountability or does it not matter because, again, you're in a silo where you're only talking to your set crowd uh, and if you say something wrong, they'll you know move past it. You know, is there a need for accountability and how do you create that in this system? Well, consequences are everything. Uh, consequences are the foundation of a healthy society. Um, part of my disagreement with the Trump era is that Republicans never gave themselves any consequences. And so it's just kind of been, a, a, as a person that is more of a Republican than a Democrat, it's been dismaying to see themselves put no brakes on anything, no checks and balances on themselves. Uh, it's just we're, It's just kind of a, a defining decency down that's taking place in every – sector because of a lack of accountability. Um, in some ways, journalists have more accountability now than they ever have because there is a a reward for catching a journalist in a falsehood or getting something wrong because it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't really matter what intent is, right? If, you know, you – you see a journalist get something wrong, you can now, if you're a right-leaning media personality, like a local talk show host or a Charlie Kirk, go on Twitter and just say they were lying. You know, um, there, there's uh, a huge amount of accountability in traditional media now by right-wing wow. media, by, by kind of the right-leaning uh, establishment. Uh, that didn't exist really 10 years ago. I mean, I remember being at CPAC in 2003 and everybody lamenting the kind of online jackals that existed on the left. And the conversation in 2003 at CPAC was, we need to create our own. You know, we need to create our own Hollywood. We need to create our own online jackals. We need to create our own accountability system. Um, we need to create our own Hollywood, kind of this Benedict option of separating ourselves from society. And I think that was kind of a mistake by let's create our own Christian colleges. Let's create our own right-wing press. Because what that did is it took conservatives out of traditional institutions because they went to work elsewhere. And so they stopped having conversations uh, with – you know, I, I know of several conservatives that worked at the Indianapolis Star that were beneficial to the newsroom because they had conversations with their liberal colleagues. Now those people don't work in the in, in there anymore, uh, and so you kind of don't have that accountability of someone from the other side, from the other culture, going, "Hey, you didn't even think about it this way. Like maybe that person wasn't a white supremacist. Maybe they were thinking it this way." or um, so I think that 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 it's uh, not different or worse. There's just kind of I guess it's not better or worse. There's just a difference, right? So the accountability years ago would be, um, uh, if, if like Brian Williams, Brian Williams gets caught sort of half lying, fudging a story, and gets relegated to eleven o'clock on MSNBC and loses. You know the the premier job in broadcast news. Um, that is that is an a profession keeping themselves accountable. Uh, journalism 
libertarians really want private institutions, private policing to take place. And journalism has been a place that has kind of modeled that somewhat in that they set these defined rules of ethics and hold each other accountable around them. Um, you can't work in journalistic institutions if you don't have, if you don't kind of buy into a set of rules. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to necessarily go work at the Indianapolis Star because I don't do my show in a rigorous way. I don't have two or three, you know, layers of fact checking or editing that I have to go through when I do my show. It's just kind of like, you know, I've done some research and reading, but I'm kind of shooting from the hip. Um, them violating that rule set of rules and not holding each other accountable because they're, you know, the journalists that are left didn't get held accountable as much as the journalists that are on the right. That kind of led to the right going, well, you don't hold anybody accountable, which is just not true. Um, but I, I appreciate in the journalistic world how they do have a set defined rules of ethics that are not enshrined in law, that are not backed by the force of law. It's just sort of backed by a code, a professional code. Excuse me. Um, so that's one way that they keep each other accountable. And the other is basically this like new amalgamation of right-leaning you know, media outlets that are hunting for mistakes. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Maybe Twitter. That's really it. I've kind of gotten away from watching the the news, like the local news and all the other stuff. I think honestly, because like it seems like the other stuff is like Twitter and my teams here are more entertaining. Like like he's talking about like connecting with something. I feel like that's something more I can connect with rather than watching the local news or you know other news outlets. That's definitely true. Does it does it matter to you guys that Sometimes you have to eat your broccoli and carrots and not just eat your candy. You know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying with that. And like, I like, I understand that too, but I just feel like, I don't know. I just feel like I've gotten away from it from, for right now. But like, as I get older, now I'm starting to realize that I probably should probably like go and like, instead of looking at things that are just interesting to me, that like I can connect with, I should start looking at things that connect to other people so I can talk, like understand the entire view of something and try to understand what other people are thinking as well. Is that what you mean, man? Yeah, no, I th I think that's exactly right. I think the older you get, the more you kind of go, all right, I need to understand the full picture, uh, and I think that's part of why uh, there is a lack of trust because if you're at thirty two percent of people trusting you. That's just not a Republican problem. 
That is a normie problem. So why does the normie who doesn't have an ideological bent not trust you? It's not just relevancy. It's just not, you know, because you don't have the resources to do the reporting the right way. It's, uh, I mean, that's part of it. Like, watching the local television news is just like, all right, how many, like, death reports and traffic accidents can I see? Well, the reason they report that stuff is because the police do all the work. The reporter just has to go down to the police station or log on to the traffic log and kind of see what happened and read the police report and then type something up. You know, it's it's much harder to do uh, an embedded project where you go and, like, kind of hear out people's experiences. Um, but that's where podcasting has come in in a, in a solid way. Like, you listen to some of these Gimlet or you know, daily, uh, you know, the daily with the New York times or Freakonomics and you get to the end and it's like a, a movie cast of credits, you know, 40 people that worked on it, but because something like NPR is embedded takes 30 people to do it. I'd love to do it, but I'm one guy. Um, and it's hard to go out. And that's one of the reasons that media is really important, that, that journalism is really important. You, cannot fly to Scotland to find out what is happening at some big event, right? You can't fly to China to learn all the facts about what's happening with President Z being basically elected president for life today. You don't have the context, you don't have the contacts, and you don't have the time to go figure that out on your own. And so like everything else in capitalism, we have to kind of outsource that, right? I don't wake up every day excited to grow a turnip. I don't want to grow turnips. But there's some dude out there who loves growing turnips. That's his passion, right? There's somebody out there who is passionate about um, high-end fashion. There's somebody that's passionate about understanding the relationship between China and Japan. And that's sort of where the war on experts over the last two years has fallen flat for me because we need experts. Like, I don't know anything about insurance, but I need my friend Matt Allen to explain it to me, you know, because he's super nerdy about it. Um, and that's where we need journalism to kind of give us that context, give us an explanation of what's happening in the world. Uh, and you, you kind of have to not just depend on what you think is relevant. And that that's sort of where like local media has fallen flat is they're, they're kind of just taking the easy road because they don't have the resources. Um, they don't have the pulse of their community to find out what's relevant because they're not necessarily like engaging in the community. Um, and their incentive structure is all wrong because of clicks. Uh, that's where it's up to us to show them that the incentives have changed. And that's where you have to show them that your consumer behavior has changed from celebrities, sports, and traffic reports to, I want to understand why somebody is homeless and how we can fix that problem. I want to understand why inflation takes place and elect politicians that won't do that. You know, it's, it's up to us to kind of like eat our broccoli and carrots a little bit and understand the world so we can make informed choices because every choice you make every single day contributes to a, a signal to someone about their product. So you're sending signals to the free market every single day. 
And yes, we do live in a free market society. Would it should it be much freer? Absolutely. But you are still you are still living in a signal economy. And so every click that you know, if you're just kind of like like do you go to tmz.com or do you just see tmz on your social media? Uh, I'm sure I watch the TV show. Okay. So you're sending a signal to them that I'm a consumer, I want it this way, this is how I want it. Um, but you know, what other signals can you send like going to um you know, finding a journalistic outlet that you really like and clicking on their stuff every day, sharing that on your social media or finding an independent journalist that you like or podcast that you like that enrich you and giving them some Patreon money. Like these signals that you send are really important. And that's how we're going to kind of retrain. Uh, There was some in, I don't know if it's in the infrastructure bill. I think it's in the build better back bill, but there's like some massive crazy amount of money for local journalism. And the goal basically was they know the incentive structures. They know human behavior. They know that people are going to kind of bilk the system for money that people like me who have some talent at this would go, I'm going to get a federal grant for $32 million to set up an Indianapolis-based news outlet. And, you know, like they basically wanted to fund a resurgence in local media. Why is that? Because we have kind of become too centralized. You know, we have we have become we think that the president's bowel movement every single day is the most important thing that happened in American politics. And I I don't agree with that. You know, I I just don't think that what the president does necessarily has to be the most important thing. When Joe Hogsett, my mayor, has much more direct control over my life, the guys and women that pass lockdowns in your local area have way more control over your life than Joe Biden does. Uh, you know, I think we should have learned that through the last few years. So, so I just say, you know, think about your incentives that you're providing the signals that you're providing, um, and, you know, kind of seek out some things that you think, uh, like ProPublica is an investigative journalism site or downloading podcasts that do responsible journalism and saying, Hey, these guys do a good thing and, uh, sharing that information, sending that signal. Um, it doesn't have to be boring. That's the great thing about a lot of these storytelling podcasts. They're doing journalism, but not in a boring way. The Daily has been at the top of the podcast charts for three years for a reason. It's not boring. You can get the same amount of information in, in uh, a Daily podcast as you can reading like five or six New York Times articles in 20 minutes. And it's told in like the storytelling format. So... That signal to the news industry that podcasts can be popular and you can put some melted cheese on my broccoli and I'll eat it sort of change the direction of podcasting uh, and news. So um, I, I wrote this question down on the, uh, on the <clears throat> GSA because I thought it was some, it was a question somebody brought up to me when I was younger when I told them like, I really like watching the news. I don't really see the purpose. They're like, they're basically been, they created this hypothetical. Where it's like, oh, what if a natural disaster happens? And like, how are people going to find out? Et cetera, et cetera. So like, do you think like a large, like centralized news system, like, I don't know, like a Fox or a CBS or whatever is necessary? 
in a country like America, or do you think uh, an emphasis on, you kind of asked this already, but an emphasis on like more local news would be better for like the American ecosystem, how people relate to each other? Sorry if I add to that. Yeah. Sure. Like you also mentioned that like the funding for local news sources has been down a lot recently. Uh, I don't know. I was just kind of curious if you had any ideas or thoughts on what could be done to kind of bring money back in the local news, bring more support to them. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> the AP is about as neutral as you're going to get in America. Um, and, and most people don't realize how much news they read from the AP every day because they don't understand what the AP is. Um, a, a, a radio show or radio station or, you know, news outlet of some sort will pay the equivalent of a year's salary to the AP for the rights to read their stories, play their audio clips, and in exchange, uh, you get access to their network of reporters. Uh, you know, in a state like Indiana, you may have, I don't know, 10, 20 AP reporters covering a variety of subjects that are paid uh, to write the the facts. <laughs> um, there's a reason that the AP is kind of considered the standard, you know, right here in my bookshelf behind me, the AP style guide. Uh, is something that I try to implement in how I write. Um, so we do have like a big centralized news service in that, or Reuters, or Deutsche Welle in Germany, or the BBC in Britain. And there certainly is like a place for that kind of thing um, because of what I said. Like you just can't be everywhere and do everything, and you've got to have – an institution, like I, I'm, I'm a libertarian that believes in institutions. Private institutions are good. Um, something like the AP, I think, is a benefit because it strips out that that like hot take and like kind of puts it in very neutral language. Um, but you know, and they get it wrong, and you should probably double check them too. But like they, they wait, <laughs> like. They have very strict standards in what they report because when you print a byline in the AP, you, you like next time you're on like a, your local television news site and you see that it's an AP story, take that headline, copy and paste it, and put that into Google. And you'll see probably 100, 200 different results because that same article got printed on hundreds of other news sites because of that system of people paying into it. Um, you know, and it, and it takes a long time to build an institution like that. Um, an institution like that, that is kind of foundational, that is a little boring, but has high standards is long lasting. Uh, an institution that is built on hot takes and attention, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get as many clicks. We're going to build out the TPUSA radio network. That has a high turnover. I've seen those come and go, right? Like, you know, the uh, the uh, the biggest podcast in the Christian world's The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill about Mark Driscoll. Everybody at the time kind of knew, like, all right, there's a time limit on this because he's trying to be edgy. There's a time limit on edgy. Um, and, and those people get really popular really fast, but they don't build institutions um, because they're trying to just – they you know, you're just trying to get attention. Um so, uh, 
Man, I wish I had an answer to how do you fund like a local model. Um, that's been a question that's been you know kind of been in discussion here in Indianapolis for about five to seven years. Because you had, you know, when I was a kid, you had the Indianapolis News in the afternoon, and you had the Indianapolis Star in the morning. And then the Star bought the news, closed down the afternoon paper, and we had one paper. Um, And then the Indianapolis Star kind of, it got bought by Gannett, which got bought by a hedge fund, which got sold to another hedge fund. And just over the last 15 years has just been, they've squeezed every ounce of revenue that they can out of it. They're cutting their way to prosperity. The product is terrible, uh, and everybody in town knows it. Every, you know, we we tend to think like power is the person who's elected, and that's not the power in any kind of place like Indianapolis or Cleveland, right? It's it's like the the people that work in the law firms and the people that kind of run the big nonprofits and the people that kind of run the school system and run the newspapers and the TV stations. And like, you know, there, there is an elite in any kind of geographical area. And the, the talk in the elite of Indianapolis has kind of been, what do we do about the star? Because they're going to kill this. They're going to kill the only newspaper and we need journalism. We need to know what's really happening to make informed decisions. We needed good journalism around COVID-19 so everybody could make good personal decisions. Um, you know, that's uh, you know, you need um you need journalism to kind of like as much as the right-wing press will beat up on journalism, they they desperately need it. Because what else are they going to talk about? They're not out there doing reporting, right? Every right-wing talk show or blog starts with a link to a traditional media source, whether they're claiming that they are geniuses because they believe in the right thing and look, this New York times article proves it or, Oh my God, look at how awful these people are. Or you'll get a Tim pool like tweeting today that the corporate press is the enemy, the people, and they got Rittenhouse wrong and they got Covington wrong. Like Tim pools incentive structure is to get you to not believe in other forms of media and give him all of your attention. We're in a, an attention economy. I am an attention merchant. I want you to pay attention to me. And you only have so much attention, right? You have a finite amount of space on your podcast attention listening. So what I need to do to get you to not listen to them and listen to me instead. So let me lower their value, right? Um, and that that has that like has been a very successful strategy. And there is some merit to everything that they say about the mainstream media, uh, for sure. But journalism is still important. And so everybody's kind of like, all right, well, what what do we do with like, uh, you know, Patreon models? And, you know, you know, the athletic kind of took off and that worked, right? Like you pay for the athletic seven bucks a month, you get access to the articles. But it's not kind of like really... It's not taking off. You still need like a a big backer to kind of stop the loss. So journalism news has always kind of been a loss leader. Like even in the heyday, CBS, when Walter Cronkite was the evening news, it still lost a ton of money because journalism is, is uh, hard to do. Um, so there's talk that some like city father or someone will eventually buy from the hedge fund, a paper like the Indianapolis star. 
and basically say my foundation is going to fund the loss that the Indianapolis Star will have. Um, you look at something like the Indianapolis Business Journal, which just frankly kicks their ass in news coverage. It's owned by some rich guys here in town that are libertarians that do great coverage. Um, and it's because they know that journalism is important. So as much as everybody would like, oh, we need to kill the elites, the elites are still going to always kind of end up owning the news because it's the only financial model that works. Um, but this system is much more open than the old days, right? So uh, we've kind of returned to the 1800s when everybody had an ideological press. The Corden Democrat, the Rushville Republican, like these, you know, there are five newspapers in a town like University Heights, you know? So you wouldn't just have one big blanket newspaper. You'd have a bunch of little broadsheets. And that's kind of where we've ended up with some of these bigger institutions, but a lot of people like me that you can go to for information. But I still rely on the on the mainstream guys, like everybody else. Um, don't let them fool you on that. Sorry if I'm being too long-winded. Uh, just yell oh, at me, good. Luke, if you... you know, you guys have any questions or comments on that? Thanks for taking the time out of your night to talk with this vast, pretty important discussion. I appreciate your thoughts and perspectives on things. Yeah, sure. I mean, is there anything else that you want to ask? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's kind of like, kind of like the problem you touched on that I deal with personally running this club is the, the whole incentive structure. People just don't care about hearing like quality information and learning about stuff because like I said like private but wrong with the nice to go out here Thursday and Saturday nights so on Friday people were just hanging out with their roommates stuff like that like there's really no reason why they can't come to something like this but they still don't yeah they don't really care um I think ultimately that's gonna be the downfall of like you know I don't. I don't know that it's the downfall. I think it's just the way it's always been. Like yeah. I, I, you know, there's a rule in nonprofits that four people in any nonprofit do all the work, and that's been true of every nonprofit I've ever been involved with. That's why the founders didn't set up a direct democracy like Athens, where everybody had a say. They set it up so you had a, a representative democracy, because they knew if you had a certain amount, like in polling. If you have a thousand people, you don't really need a hundred thousand people because a thousand people is enough if you kind of sample the right way, right? Um, you know, you, you, you will always have people who, who, you know, don't get discouraged because your meetings aren't always full. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not meaningful work, it just means that you're carrying the water for, uh, you're representing a certain amount of the population uh, and your work will pay off. It is meaningful. Even if everybody doesn't show up, you know what I mean? Like there's uh benefit to your activity and there will always be a small number in anything you, you do. Like it's one of the great tragedies uh, of our age is how miserable we are considering how great our lives are your lives living in your college boy d 
disease-infested room, I'm sure, uh, is infinitely cleaner and healthier than anything Henry VIII ever lived in. <laughs> you know, you have better access to food and healthcare than any medieval king. Um, your your life is is phenomenal compared to every human that's ever lived up until basically your generation. But we all feel super miserable. And it's because we just spend our day scrolling, seeing how everybody else is representing their best, uh, you know, their their best life. You know, I, I literally will never forget my two best friends. I knew how bad they were fighting, how close to breaking up they were. And the next morning she posted, oh, I love him so much. You know, it's like we compare our movement to their movement or our podcast to their podcast or our group to other people's groups. And, and it's kind of all fake bullshit. You know, it's like a, it's every, everything's awesome and nobody's happy. <laughs> so, you know, don't get discouraged, like kind of just be grateful that you guys have uh, formed a group that you're working hard, that it is making some impact and, and don't get down because it's, um, you know, not, you know, 500 people, because 500 people are never going to show up. You're experiencing something that every nonprofit I work with is going through. Like, one charity was like, we don't even offer for volunteers. Because I, I hosted a public affairs radio show last year, um, and I talked to 63 charities. Every single one I said, do you ask for volunteers? Do you want volunteers? And they go, no, we just want money, because volunteers show up, take a selfie that they were volunteering, and then never show up again. Um, you know, so we need money to kind of do the hard work that nobody else wants to do. And that's part of the beauty of a free market is that what you guys find interesting and take on benefits everybody, uh, in that decentralized system. Um, appreciate that. Um, uh, I guess kind of the last thing, um, kind of like a common thing I feel today is like, everybody's like, well, the media is too biased, or you know, they're just biased this way, this biased this way. Um, and you know, I just want to hear your thoughts on um, the role of bias in media because, personally, I do think to an extent there is a role for bias in media. I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's always been there, it will always be there, and it's completely irrational for us to think that there was ever a time where a journalist kind of didn't separate their own personal feelings around the subjects they were reporting on. Um, you have different degrees of caring about that. Uh, a doctor who hates his patient will still do their job. Um, so bias has always existed and will always exist. It's just more honest now. Um, and, and it's kind of insulting and, and hilarious when somebody who works for the New York Times just pretends that they're neutral when everything that they post about something like vaccines never takes into consideration the people who are unvaccinated. Like I think the unvaccination, uh, the unvaccinated is a great example of bias in the media. Like we went from like, let's all coexist. Joe Biden's going to unite America. Uh, let's respect everyone to, segregating society real quick. <laughs> um, a lot of journalists didn't ask, like, why does somebody choose to be vaccinated or not be vaccinated? They just sort of pass judgment on Twitter. Uh, 
you know, where there's like this this disdain that you can see. I mean, most of my Twitter feed of the people that I follow are journalists because I, I use it as a news curation system. It's never like, you know, if I would go and talk to people that were unvaccinated, I got a totally different perspective than I saw in my Twitter feed from journalists. You know, uh, they have bias. That bias is there. Um, but what's good is that you have so many options and it's very clearly labeled and it's up to you to like check yourself. You know, it's up to, uh, you know, if you, I don't care if you listen to Alex Jones every day, like I listen to Alex Jones sometimes because I want to understand that perspective. Um, but am I balancing that out with other things or is that the only type of content that I'm consuming? You know, I at one point was only listening to Ben Shapiro every day and I wasn't listening to anything else. And so for like a brief three month period, I was super angry at the left all the time. You know, and then like I would go and seek out their perspective and I was like, all right, that kind of makes sense. Uh, so I just think it's like a, a a healthy media diet should be encouraged in the same way that a healthy uh, physical diet is encouraged. Like, it's fine that you watch TMZ. Like nobody's asking anybody to go and only, you know, read the most boring shit out like just read the ap like that's that's not colorful it's not fun it's boring like just kind of make sure you're getting some balance you know if uh i'm all for reading crazy shit but like challenge yourself if you your kind of direction is crazy shit like all right let me see what they're saying too so you can challenge yourself a little bit you know, use your exercise your brain. So yeah, I think uh, bias is important. I think it's important for kind of people to say, "Here's where my bias is," so you can judge the information. But quit pretending that you're an unbiased. You're just not. Sounds good. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Or all right, well, I guess we'll wrap up. I really appreciate you coming to talk. Um, I do think stuff like this is invaluable because kind of like, like we're in our little bubble. We, just, we don't really know too much about anything really. So I really like to come here and learn stuff. Um, so I really appreciate you coming. We know you're busy. Um, we did have a, uh, we recently got somebody in student government. So we should have some more money our way. Hopefully we'll be able to get you to come back next semester and we can send you a little something. Yeah, I'd love to to come in person. We've got a couple hosts that live out there in Cleveland, so I'd stop and say hi to them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you want to come in person, too, that'd be great. Um, we can figure something out. Do um, you have any questions for us about comments or anything? No, keep up the great work. Appreciate it. Well, Chris, thanks, everybody. I highly recommend you listen to this podcast. It's really informative. Um, I'll send a link out via email. Uh, if you want to check it out. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much it. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys. Thanks.